We are glad to make all of our Jcast Network podcasts free for our listeners. However, they are not free to produce and host. Please consider making a donation to Jcast Network to help support our work by visiting jcastnetwork.org slash donate. Thanks for your support. You are listening to Pop Torah with Rabbi Iznopf and Olitsky, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about other Jcast Network podcasts, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Welcome to Pop Torah, the podcast where we look at pop culture from a Jewish perspective and look at Judaism through the lens of pop culture. As always, we are your hosts. I am Rabbi Michael Knopf. And I am Rabbi Jesse Olitsky. And today we are going to talk about The Mandalorian, specifically season three, but also all seasons of The Mandalorian, uh, as well as uh, some of the related properties like the Book of Boba Fett. Uh, Jesse, you want to recap uh, a little bit about what's happened in The Mandalorian and in particular season three? Sure. The Mandalorian was the big kickoff show when Disney Plus first launched its first original series, the first episode launching on uh, Disney Plus Day. Uh, and it takes place after about five years after the events of Return of the Jedi, after the events of Episode 6. And it stars uh, Pedro Pascal as Din Djarin, who plays the Mandalorian. He is uh, somebody who converted to this Mandalorian uh, religion and culture. Uh, and he is a bounty hunter of sorts, and he is tasked with... Um, uh, retrieving a species, a being. Uh, turns out that that being ends up being Baby Yoda, who in season two we learn is Grogu. Uh, in season two, he is committed to reuniting Grogu with his uh, species, uh, with uh, other uh, Yoda-like creatures. But then when we realize that he is uh, a, a Jedi and has Jedi potential, uh, we're introduced in season two to other Jedi. We, we get uh, Rosario Dawson introduced as uh, Ahsoka, uh, the first live-action Ahsoka. We previously have seen her in the animated Clone Wars, as well as making an appearance in Rebels. Uh, she'll get her own Disney Plus series coming up soon. And then we see the big season two reveal of uh, a de-aged Luke Skywalker um, really uh, saving uh, Mando, saving Din Djarin, and saving Grogu, and taking Grogu. Now, if you ended there with season two uh, and started season three, the reunification that we see at the beginning of this season of Mando and Baby Yoda of Din Djarin and of Grogu would be a bit confusing because you had to have also seen the book of Boba Fett, which is kind of like a boring show until about halfway through the season when you realize it's season 2.5 of The Mandalorian and uh, the two are reunited. What we see in this series specifically, we see that Jinjarin is trying to um, both uh, immerse, he's trying to get the, to the living waters uh, to reimmerse, to restore his status as a Mandalorian. He feels that he is uh, Tameh, impure in a sense, and we're going to talk a, a lot about that. Um, and he's trying to, he, he and other Mandalorians feel like that they're they've been told that their planet of Mandalore ha has been destroyed um and uh we see a, a increased role for Bo-Katan in, in this season uh and she is told that she is actually the person who can uh bring the Mandalorians out of exile back to the planet of Mandalore uh and in a nutshell that's really how the season ends right in a nutshell the season ends with um uh 
Din Djarin immersing in those living waters, but then uh, he is almost going to drown in those waters. Bo-Katan saves his life, uh, but then uh, they have this final battle with Moff Gideon, uh, played by Giancarlo Esposito and his forces, uh, and uh, they, in the end, uh, we think he's dead this time, but who knows? I feel like Moff Gideon has died several occasions. Um, Grogu ends up protecting Bo-Katan, ends up protecting Jinjarin um, with a force bubble, and uh, they end up restarting, relighting the Great Forge, which is at the heart of Mandalore. Um, Jinjarin formally adopts Grogu as his own to train him and to make him a Mandalore, uh, and uh, in some ways it's happily ever after as we have the return from exile and the rebuilding of Mandalore, we have the uh, immersing in the living waters uh, in order to be purified as a Mandalorian, and the season ends there. I have a couple questions for you, Mike. One, was the season necessary? Did the season disappoint uh, in a way that it didn't have the big, uh, the, the big season finale drop? I think everybody was looking for the Luke Skywalker s cameo in the season finale, like we found in season two. And how great was it that we saw in the flashback, the Order sixty six flashback? We saw um, Ahmed Best uh, play the uh, Jedi Master. Killerin Beck, who was the Jedi Master who saved Groku from the burning Jedi Temple. Uh, Ahmed Bess is the is the actor who played Jar Jar Binks in the prequel trilogy. Uh, and he, he talks about how he almost took his own life. Uh, he was so depressed by the fan backlash of his character. Um, and, and George Lucas thought his character was going to be like the Ewoks, was going to be, you know, this character that sold a lot of toys and dolls and that sort of thing. And fans hated him. He was so depressed that he he thought about taking his own life. And he is able to come back and be the Jedi that saves Grogu, uh, which is really a, a powerful for the person, for the actor, for the individual, a, a powerful redemption arc. What do you think, Mike? Was there a question there? <laughs> <laughs> what, what, uh, what do you think about the season? Okay. So I, I think that there's a lot to talk about here. Uh, you know, the, the the there are a few different dimensions. You, you first asked, you know, was this season necessary? Uh, you often ask that question, and I'm not sure uh, how to answer it because uh, is any art necessary? Um, and I don't think that the answer to that is is yes from a from a technical standpoint. No, no art isn't. No TV show is necessary. Um, was there story to tell here? I do think that there was story to tell here. Did they do an effective job telling the story on its own merits? I'm not positive that they did. I, I think that there were that there was a lot that I thought was uh, wanting from the season, um, including uh, a focus on uh, Din Djarin specifically. I think that one of the things that was so wonderful and refreshing about uh the the Mandalorian when when it started the premise of it when it started was okay we're gonna get you know in the Disney era of Star Wars we're gonna get takes on Star Wars that are gonna play with you know pull out some of the threads and the strands of what people loved from the original trilogy uh or from from the movies altogether uh and uh and and uh and and look at Star Wars from kind of different angles right so this was Star Wars as a Western, right, as a revenge uh, 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 action movie, right? Um, and 
and, and I thought that was really thrilling and really exciting. Like Westerns, uh, spaghetti Westerns, that sort of like pulpy uh, kind of content was always present in the original Star Wars. Um, and it was and it was really great in that original season of the of the Mandalorian. Um, uh, the second season uh, brought in some samurai elements of the uh, of, of uh, that were all again always present in uh, George Lucas's original vision. Right, his uh, original vision was really a mashup of uh, sci-fi, of uh, of like pulp serials, of westerns, of samurai movies. Um, you know, had all of those different elements of it. And so the original uh, premise of The Mandalorian was was a, it felt a kind of like smaller story that kind of unpacked a little bit of uh, what was, you know, it was Midrash on, uh, on, on the white spaces of uh, what was happening between the original trilogy and the sequel trilogy. And that was like really interesting and thrilling. Pedro Pascal is just a really uh, lovable uh, actor. He's he's just great in, in so many things. Um, and so th there, there was something really exciting about that. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that uh, what happened to The Mandalorian is that um, it became a, a, a victim of um, the marvelization of, uh, of, of pop culture. Uh, no, uh, no, no, don't, don't take down my, my Marvel fandom. I'm going to take down your Marvel fandom because I think that what, you know, what, and we've talked about this a, a few times, you know, what Marvel has ended up becoming. And I think that this is in part because um, of its move to uh, make its TV series interconnected with its movie series and have to follow all of this content um, is that it makes uh, viewing kind of like homework. Um, and so, you know, so as The Mandalorian went on, it went, you know, much deeper into the lore of, uh, of, of you know, the Mandalorian people. Uh, the, the, there was something kind of tantalizing about the idea that, you know, the, the uh, Mandalorian sect that Din Djarin was a part of was sort of like a religious extremist uh, 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 version of the Mandalorian people that was, and there were different kind of like tribes uh, or approaches to Mandalorian culture. And I think that, that you know, that that could have been explored a, a little bit um, without, you know, uh, doing the deep dives. Um, but in order to really appreciate uh, what the Mandalorian has been doing for the, now the past three seasons, you have to really be studied on the Dave Filoni verse of uh, of of Star Wars properties of uh, of the Clone Wars series of Rebels. I like those shows, but I'm not a rabid fan of them. Sure. So so in order and, to and, and it like... makes it trickier because right start what Star Wars does that that um, Marvel doesn't do is Star Wars is really linking the animated series properties with the live action as one single story. Correct. When Disney bought uh, Lucasfilm, uh, it relegated all of the extended universe material from Star Wars, the novels, the comic books, etc., to to non-canon. Uh, to what it you know, so it called it extended universe. Uh, but what Dave Filoni, who is a, I think a great storyteller, but also a a, a deep and thoroughgoing Star Wars nerd, uh, is doing with the series. Um, is bringing some of that lore back in, right? So we're going to get 
even much more in the Ahsoka series, uh, Grand Admiral Thrawn, who is a, a big bad from uh, the extended universe novels uh, that have that that you know intense Star Wars fans have been you know clamoring to see on screen for a long time. Well, now we're going to get him, and that's really kind of just a taste of what Dave Filoni has has done here. And there are ways in which that is. Great. And for uh, certainly for for, you know, serious fans, that is really great. But Star Wars has always been, you know, mass entertainment. Right. And that has been one of the tensions in the modern era of Star Wars after the original trilogy is who is Star Wars for George Lucas wanted to make the sequel trilogy as a Star Wars for kids of all ages. Right. Uh, um, uh, for not the, you know, for not the rabid fan base, the rabid fan base revolted against the uh, against the prequel trilogy. And, and my kids love it. Right. And so Disney tried to course correct that by uh, by by making a Star Wars that was for primarily the, you know, the original now aging uh, uh, you know, uh, boomer Gen Xer and millennial uh, fan base of uh, of of, uh, of of the original trilogy, and then to a certain extent the this the prequel trilogy. Um, and 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 you know, so that that is, I think, what I'm saying by the marvelization of Star Wars. Uh, that uh, that there is much more fan service happening here. Uh, much more uh, uh, deep dives into the lore of Star Wars. Um, and and much more of a sense that. Now watching Star Wars is a, a sort of, you know, task that you have to do uh, in order to stay up to uh, up with what's happening in the larger universe, the larger series, because to now, you know, to appreciate any subsequent property, you have to be really schooled in everything else that's going on. Yeah, I, I think part of the problem, though, is the way that the Star Wars universe was introduced, right, that George Lucas started with episode four. Uh, and so there was all this backstory. Um, and then yes and yes and no. Originally, he did not originally title it episode four. Uh, that was an eventual uh, 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 change to reflect the fact that in order to uh, to to tell that story, he had to come up with in his mind all of this backstory about what was happening in 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 this universe. That that I understand. But what I, what I'm saying is that then there was this backstory you could fill that you could fill in the blanks. And when they went back in the '90s and, and the early 2000s, and they made episodes one, two, and three, there's still this huge gap between uh, Revenge of the Sith and A New Hope. And so then they started with the the Clone Wars TV show with Rebels with uh, the Rogue One movie, right? They're starting to fill in these gaps. Similarly, when they came out with episode seven, I loved episode seven, even if it was more of a nostalgia love. I loved episode seven. There's a gap, a big gap between Return of the Jedi and The, the Force Awakens. And now what this show and others are doing are really filling in those those gaps again. Which is great. I mean, we, we've we've talked about this on the show before about how, you know, in, in a lot of ways, uh, these kinds of stories are modern midrash, right? That that they take, you know, these uh, this this original narrative, this original story and say, hey, there's there's a lot of white space here. Uh, let's 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 tell the stories that aren't being told to make the whole thing more coherent and 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 richer and 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 deeper. I, I like that, right? So I. I really loved in the original uh, season of The Mandalorian um, the notion of like you know I, I asked myself like how is it 
that that essentially the empire reemerges uh, more ferociously uh, in uh, by the time of episode seven after it's been destroyed uh, in in uh, episode six, right? And so the Mandalorian begins to tell that story that you know that that uh, the New Republic is not doing a very effective job of uh, of governing the 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 galaxy, uh, and um, and the Jedi are still in the process of you know, essentially rebuilding, not existing, right? Luke Skywalker in that first season of The Mandalorian is not even on the radar screen of any of the characters, but the Empire still is, right? Um, and that that resonates, especially in an era in which, you know, democracy is receding and is under threat and uh, fascism is rising to, to note that, um, uh, that you, know, you think, well, okay, well, you know, in 1945, we defeated fascism and it went away. No, that's not true. And it's still uh, present and all, maybe always present, uh, uh, able and willing to regroup when it's given the vacuum uh, to, to be able to do so. Right? That's happening there. So I, I love all of that um, in the original season. But the, but the challenge is, um, how do you uh, balance uh, uh, filling in the uh, white spaces um, with, um, with, with, enabling uh, anybody to pick up the story and become a fan uh, at any point. We have this Jewishly too, right? This is, this is Midrash. I, I recognize, what? This is Midrash in a nutshell. Right. So I, I recognize that, you know, my my Judaism is enriched. The deeper I dive into Torah and tradition, the more I learn, the more complexity I add, the more interconnections between things I see, whatever. But I also, as a as a teacher of Torah, as somebody who wants to uh, uh, offer it to uh, anybody and everybody who, uh, who, who who might find it compelling and, and benefit from it in their life, um, th- there have to be avenues in. Right. And uh, and to say, well, you know, there are actually no avenues in because unless you know everything, you can't know anything that feels to me problematic. No, I, I think that's that's right. To me, I said that this is like Midrash it's because there are so many blanks in the narrative, blank spaces in the narrative. Uh, that was not a Taylor Swift reference. Uh, there's so many blank spaces in the narrative that we want to fill in those blanks. Uh, and what ends up happening uh, is that for some of us, we are taught Midrash as if it is Pshat, as if it is Torah, right? The stories that we learn about uh, Abraham smashing his father's idols, of Moses uh, putting the coal in his mouth, and that's wh- where he got his speech impediment for, right? This is all Midrash that uh, so many children learn in Hebrew school as if it is true, as if it is literal, as if it happened in that way. Uh, and uh, maybe that's how we need to treat these series, Right, that is the Mandalorian simply midrash to fill in the blanks, but that is a sort of a wait and see. Uh, Mike, I have an additional question about the show itself. I'm wondering, not uh, the the sort of on on the conscious level, not with the storylines. You know, we talked about how the patient when we watch the patient, how that may be the most Jewish show ever. Uh, this is not. Um, uh, intensely consciously Jewish, but on the subconscious level, is there an argument that the Mandalorian is the most Jewish show ever uh, on, on the Hey Alma websites uh, they they refer to Mandalorian as low key Jewish. The forward just came out with an article uh, suggesting that it very well may be the most Jewish show ever. I'm wondering your thoughts. <laughs> you know the most Jewish show ever. I think that that might be overselling it a bit. Listen, I've always found 
uh, Star Wars to be a a, a deeply Jewish uh, property series. Um, you know, that I, I have always found lots of Jewish resonance uh, in it, you know, beginning with uh, the fact that the, you know, the master of this uh, uh, this religion uh, is named Yoda, which is uh, presumably from the Hebrew word uh, Yodea, you know, to know. And uh, and and there, there's so much about that, you know, that that lore of the force that resonates with Jewish spirituality to me, all of that. Um, and I and I think that the Mandalorian is also, you know, in its own ways, very Jewish. I think it deals with uh, the the tensions in uh, interpreting and living religious tradition, right? So the the Mandalorian tribe uh, that uh, Dinjarin is part of uh, are kind of like you know the ultra orthodox, right? And uh, and Bo-Katan creases. Uh, uh, tribe or, or uh, you know, the, the sort of masses of the Mandalorians are, are like liberal Jews, right? Uh, they, you, know. you, you, you see that in like in Jin Jaren's uh, commitments to not removing his helmets, right? right? And, and well, then you meet these other Mandalorians who have no problem removing their helmets. It, it's sort of like the evolution of, uh, of ritual, the, the, the starkness of ritual or not. Right. That's right. You know, so and the the way to uh, uh, purify yourself, right, is to immerse in, in living waters. Right. And and uh, literally the mikvah, the ritual uh, bath is she must be filled with Mayim Chaim with living waters. That's right. John, so, John yeah. Favreau, maybe a Hebrew school dropout, but uh, he remembered a few things. Right. Uh, you know, so there's definitely a lot of Jewish uh, resonance uh, to the show. I think that the uh, uh, the idea of uh, of a found family and adopted community um, is 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 deeply Jewish too, right? That uh, Dinjarin is essentially a convert, right? Uh, um, not even a Balchuva. He's a, a Bokatan Kreese to a for a, for a moment becomes a Balat Chuva in in this season. So yeah, it, I think it is very Jewish. What do you think? Yeah, I, I think so too. I, I also think we're recording this episode on uh, Yom Ha'atzmaut. We'll drop a couple of weeks after that, but on Israel's 75th birthday. Um, I, I think specifically the narrative in season three, this idea uh, that they thought that Mandalore was forever destroyed, and yet they're going to um, return from exile to Mandalore, they're going to uh, light the Great Forge again, which I, I get it. That's for for making the armor of the Mandalorians and that sort of thing. But to me, it had serious vibes of you know relighting the menorah in in the Beit Hamikdash in the, in the temple, rededicating the temple. Uh, I, I think that there are serious um, th th there's a serious relationship uh, between. Uh, the Jewish people live in exile in the diaspora and their connection to a land, specifically to the land of Israel uh, and uh, the Mandalorians who were worried that their faith and religion wouldn't exist any longer without their connection to their home. And they finally return home. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, it's it's definitely an interesting parallel and, and it'll be uh, curious to see what happens in season four, uh, with the you know reestablishment of the you know Mandalorian society on Mandalore, um, you know I think that uh, it is uh, you know if it's a Zionist allegory, you know uh, it's it's probably problematic uh, because as as we all know, um, uh, 
it, you know, the well, not as necessarily we all know, but as as many know, uh, when uh, the Jews returned to uh, their ancestral homeland uh, in the uh, late 19th and early 20th century, uh, uh, there uh, there were other indigenous peoples there, uh, and uh, contrary uh, to uh, to to you know a certain thread of uh, Zionist narrative. Uh, it, you know, the land of uh, Israel or the land of Palestine at the time was not um, a, a a land with no people for a people with no land. It was a land with people and there was a civilization. There was a society. Uh, it wasn't. a. a I mean, there's some parts of it, certainly, that were, you know, kind of a, a, a waste, you know, and, and uh, the modern uh, state of Israel has, you know, uh, turned uh, desert land into uh, 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 livable, uh, uh, livable territory. Um, you know, established a, a, an incredibly vibrant modern city uh, in a place where there were nothing but sand dunes before. So some of that's true, but um, uh, but you know what what the Mandalorian is kind of showing is that okay, you know, this is actually at least what what they presumed was a total wasteland, right? There are. Uh, you know, still Mandalorians that are living there trying to survive on the land, but not, you know, uh, but but really struggling to do so. And otherwise, it's like, you know, um, hostile invaders who have uh, made a uh, who've tried to exploit the the, the waste of Mandalore uh, for their own uh, purposes. Um, and, uh, and and so uh, I, I feel like the analogy kind of falls apart there in some way. Um, uh, this is, you know, this is uh, uh um the the people going to you know really kind of re-inhabit and re-establish a land that that was uh totally left vacant but what is i think relevant to for it to me is the ways in which uh whole civilizations um can become uh exploited oppressed destroyed uh through uh through the designs of empire um and uh and and that i think re really resonates and, and tracks uh even in our time I, I, absolutely. Um, right. We see that it was um, the many empires that had control over the land of Israel. Um, right. So we had and most notably the Ottoman Empire for a, a large chunk of years. Uh, but we even had um, this idea of British Mandate Palestine for a short period of time uh, without truly understanding um, who was in control or or ruling the land of Palestine, um, which led to right to the the, the uh, David Ben Gurion declaring Israeli Declaration of Independence on May fourteenth, nineteen forty eight, um, and saying that this is our homeland. Follow that's of course following the the UN Partition Plan, um, which which was announced in in forty seven. Uh, but I bring that up because I I think for us. Right. We are Jews living in the diaspora. Um, our faith has always had a strong connection to the land of Israel. Um, the the state of Israel, the modern state of Israel is a, a new phenomenon for a religious connection. Um, right. Since the state itself is only 75 years old and uh, there are some uh, extremely religious communities that are actually not in support of a modern Jewish state because they believe you must wait until uh, messianic redemption um, to to have Jews uh, fully return to sovereign rule in the land of Israel. Um, even our own movement in the early days of of, of Israel and the early days of Zionism pre nineteen forty eight, the conservative reform movements were not. Uh, overtly and proudly Zionists. 
and did not support uh, the the state of Israel. Uh, it's it's a real modern phenomenon that uh, world Jewry. Um, is uh, Zionist, and now we're at this time when we are grappling with what does it mean to be a progressive Zionist. But I bring all that up to say that we are Jews and rabbis and Jewish leaders living in the diaspora. I personally don't have a vision of one day moving to Israel and being a Jew living in Israel. I you know, am strengthened by my Jewish identity, uh, and my Jewish identity is strengthened by living with those all around me um, who are of other faiths. And the whole point of season three is they have to reestablish the Mandalorian uh, tribe and cult and ritual with the land as if they couldn't survive outside of the planet of Mandalore. Um, and we see that Judaism has evolved over thousands of years, almost 2000 years outside the land of Israel. We evolved into a, a real rabbinic religion my Judaism is strengthened every day with my connection to the land of Israel and the people of Israel, but is strengthened outside of the land of Israel. Right. I mean, we'll see, we'll see how it all plays out. You know, I'm interested to see, you know, how this uh, dynamic works out when, now that they reestablished uh, or the reestablishing Mandal Mandalorian civilization on the, on the planet uh, and how these different tribes are going to get along. Like it's, it strikes me that the, that Dinjarin's, uh, tribe led by uh, the armorer um, that you know has the credo of uh, of, of this is the way. Um, uh, may, by the way, right? Uh, may uh, may not thrive in the same way on Mandalore that they did in exile, right? So there's a way in which that identity um, is sort of forged in the experience of exile and strengthened through it that uh, that may be really challenged. Uh, by the by the sort of reestablishment of that civilization and that sovereignty, um, there is inevitably going to be conflict, I think, between the extremist wing uh, and the liberal wing of the of the Mandalorians uh, in in that colony. Certainly, you know, Bo-Katan and Bo-Katan Kreese and her and, and her version of, of the of Mandalorian civilization um, will be uh, strengthened. Uh, um, uh, and 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 will in some ways flourish uh, in that context was languishing outside of that context because their their identity was very tied up with uh, with with uh, with sovereignty and uh, with with civilization on the land. But the um, but the, uh, uh, the 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 extremist wing right uh, is um, is I think going to find that to be much more challenging, and I think there's going to be uh, much more conflict. I think that we see that. Uh, in, uh, in in the contemporary state of Israel, and we see that uh, in the relationship between uh, Israel and the diaspora today. Because I agree with you, you know, I feel like my Jewish identity uh, is is much in, in so many ways much richer uh, living in the diaspora than it than it would be if I were uh, living in Israel. There's obviously a lot of charms uh, and benefits to being a Jew living in Israel, uh, but uh, but but uh, but there's also ways in which um, uh, my Jewishness, my Jewish identity, uh, is is really forged by my experience of being a, a, a Jew living diaspora. Forged like the Great Forge, on, like the Great Forge, like Mandalorian. like like hard uh, Mandalorian Beskar uh, is my Jewish identity. You know, I, I also wonder. Uh, Bo Bo Katan is introduced as you know she is going to be the one uh, to uh, almost uh, given this. Th this messiah-like responsibility. Right. She's, she's Mashiach ben David, right? Yeah. Uh, um, and to, in David. 
to an extent, um, she does do just that, right? She she reestablishes uh, the the planet and allows for their their tribe of Mandalore uh, to to return. Um, maybe is, is she maybe she's more like Bar Kokhba. Um, uh, right, right, right. A military leader that that many of his followers at the time thought was the Messiah, uh, but was not. Maybe, which makes Dinjarin Rabbi Akiva, uh, and he's going to be proven uh, 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 wrong about his uh, decision to back Bo-Katan Kreese. Maybe. Uh, I do think that the that this season of The Mandalorian would have been better um, as another kind of like spinoff mini series like we had with the book of boba fett that was adjacent to the mandalorian but not directly connected to it i would have liked more focus on the journey of of Jin and the relationship between him and uh and and grogu um this was really the book of bo katan uh and uh and that would have been fine i just was really hoping for season three of the mandalorian and again maybe that goes back to what you're saying uh, right of the the marvelization, the connectedness of the show, and that's the problem. Was this show doing more to set up Ahsoka or to bridge that gap between Episode Six and Episode Seven, slowly introducing us to um, uh, the the what will eventually be the Kylo Ren's um, followers uh, of of the, the First Order and, and that sort of thing. Right. No, it, it, it raises, it's, it's it's the same kind of question we sometimes ask about Marvel too, right? Like Captain America Civil War. Was that a Captain America movie or an Iron Man movie? It was, uh, it was, it was a, or was it Avengers 2.5? Right. Yeah, exactly. Right. So, uh, you know, and, and, and there, obviously, you know, there's, there's fan service to that. You know, people are liking it to, you know, you're, you're a kid and you have your toys and you're like playing with all the different toys in the sandbox. Right. And so this season of the Mandalorian, you're like, okay, well, what would happen if I like put the stormtroopers in Boba Fett's armor, right? Which like many of us as kids may have wanted to do. Uh, and now we get to see what that might have looked like. And there's something thrilling about that. Um, but, but uh, you know, is it, is it, um, is it meaningful? That's, that's, I think the, the question that, that I ask about it. And I guess time will tell, you know, uh, about where they take the story. Uh, you know, they, they are, clearly leading in the direction of you know the first order's rise uh by by means of uh these you know cloning experiments uh that the imperial remnants are doing uh and you know creating force sensitive uh clones uh that that ultimately uh lead to supreme leader snoke uh and and the rise of the first order um uh and and uh, which we which is a reveal uh or a plot device uh, that we uh, learn in uh, in the very um, uh, controversial episode nine with the decision to bring back uh, uh, Emperor Palpatine through cloning and dark magic, something, something uh, that they that they have there. Um, you know, so it's really doubling down on a very questionable uh, storytelling choice. And and, you know, time will tell if that ends up improving on that storytelling choice and just kind of making it part of the lore. We've seen that happen in Star Wars before. Um, or uh, or whether it actually, you know, makes it even more uh, dicey of a, of a proposition. Um, but I guess that is the, the, the um, both the challenge and the beauty of an unfolding tradition um, is that, you know, just like with the, with Midrash, with, with the process of halakha, 
Um, you get to write the next chapter in the story, or you get to fill in what's happening in the story in ways that make the story more coherent, but that also get you to uh, to downplay or upplay elements of the story that you either um, uh, want to highlight or 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 not. Uh, and so then the real question is, what are you uh, looking for in, in that the future of that story? Just besides Grogu being really, really cute, uh, what is, are you looking for to come next uh, in the story of Jin Jaren and the story of Grogu, the story of Bo-Katan and in the Star Wars universe? Let us know uh, in the comments. And as always, please be sure to rate and review us uh, pound that subscribe button this um, is the way this is the way and until next time i am the mandalorian rabbi jesse olitsky and i am rabbi din Naf. din is a last name what what is that all about i thought you were going to be baby yoda um, take care I'm always, everyone i'm always baby yoda